Um, before I get started today, I want to uh, say that um, Alex and I are wearing the same shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Very comfy shirt. Also, um, you know, in uh, uh, First Chronicles chapter 11, I believe, uh, David is longing for the water from the well of Bethlehem. You know, he's on the run. And uh, he's longing for the, for the water from the well of Bethlehem. And he mentions it to his mighty men. And three men go out and they retrieve for him some water from, from this well. And they bring it back. And there's no, it's dangerous. It's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. And they step out in faith uh, as mighty men on his behalf. And they bring him this water. And he doesn't know what to do. He just pours it out on the ground. He's like, but the, the, the risk of these men, it's not worthy. I'm not worthy to drink this water um, because of their faithfulness. And he pours it out on the ground. I just want to say that um, my pulpit has been retrieved <laughs> by some mighty men. Um, and uh, while I'm not going to destroy it, uh, I am going to cherish it. I want to say thank you for those of you who went and found it and, and brought it here. It is a little wobbly. It's not very impressive, is it? You know, it's like the rugged old cross. It's not very impressive. It's a little wobbly, but it's mine and it belongs to me. So praise God. The third, hey, the third through the fifth graders don't need this pulpit. Right? They don't need this pulpit. Right? No, uh, in fact, this was not stolen. I want to acknowledge that. Taylor asked permission. Taylor, wherever you are, Taylor asked permission, and it was granted. So, here it is, back home. Um, so, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about missions methodology today. Okay? And um, this is going to be a message uh, that for, I think for many people, um, will make a lot of sense. Those of you who are familiar with the Great Commission, uh, those of you who are familiar with the purposes that God has for his church on this earth, um, if those things are familiar to you, this message will, will speak to you. Uh, for those of you who maybe aren't Christians who are here today, you're, visit, you're visiting with us, or maybe you're not familiar, uh, very familiar with uh, the philosophy of miss missions, or maybe you're not, you've never been a part of a church um, that talks about the Great Commission regularly. I just say, bear with me. I pray that today God would show you um, that for Christians, for, for those of us who profess Jesus Christ, that he hasn't just left us here on earth uh, to attend church and do religious activities. Um, that actually he's equipped us and empowered us through his word uh, and through his Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in this world. And that's what our purpose is. And hopefully you see that today. Um, so we're, we're quickly ending Romans. We're getting to the end of Romans. Okay? We're in chapter 15, and we're getting near the end. And uh, Paul's getting ready to, to close the letter. He usually does that very eloquently. Uh, he's very good at closing letters. Um, he thinks about everyone. He's very kind. It doesn't matter how hard his words were in that letter and the things that he said. He always ends on a very positive note, which is good. That's good leadership. That's a good skill. Um, to be affirming in that way. But uh, before he closes uh, with his acknowledgments and his requests, um, he takes some time to restate his 
his intents in his letter. And this is what we've kind of been going over last week. Uh, as we read all of Paul's letters, we can see uh, several different things. In all the epistles, all the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, we see the prophetic. Right? We see prophetic words. Uh, we see doctrinal things, right? truths that affect and impact the way that we live as Christians. Uh, we receive inspiration from Paul's letters. We, we hear from him things that should inspire us and embolden us and strengthen us. And we also gain very important uh, biblical philosophy, how we should be doing missions, how we should be thinking about the mission, how we should be going about doing things. And, uh, and so it's a beautiful thing. And in the closing of this letter to, to the Romans, we see several uh, characteristics emerge. All right? And we see uh, last week, last week we saw uh, that the minister should have a message. Right? A very specific type of message. You guys remember that? Yes. And I, I want to reiterate the fact that, you know, uh, Sam mentioned that you guys are kind of dead today, and I have to agree with him. That there is a, just a general kind of uh, tiredness, a lack of attention. So I hope I can gain your attention for like 30 minutes. Can we do that yes. together? Yes. I mean, the first half of worship was very weak. <coughs> very weak, and, and we weren't really thinking about Jesus. You know, it, it started to pick up there at the end. I think you guys remember that Jesus died for you there at the end. <laughs> and that was good to see, but I need you to remember that Jesus died for you as we continue through today's message, so focus in. Um, but in, the, in last week's message, in the last few verses that we read, Paul describes for us how he speaks and what he speaks and why he speaks and with what authority he speaks with. Okay, those are the things that he looks at, uh, looks at. And, he, and, and how he ministers the word of God is what we focused on last week. The message was entitled, The Minister's Message. Remember that? Yeah, Bryce told me you listened online. Thank you. Even when you're away, man. It's good. Um, so, The Minister's Message. And that's what we were looking at last week. And, and so let's review that real quick. Um, you sped through that real fast, Miles. You thought that I was, you got ahead of me there. All right, let's start here at the beginning. So in verse 15 of chapter 15, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly. In other words, the tone of my letter is boldness. It's boldness. I'm speaking to you boldly. What we talked about is that the, the gospel message deserves boldness. It constitutes a level of, of intensity. Some of you guys are like, Brandon, you're the king of intensity. This <laughs> is the thing that people say about me. It's like the one characteristic that people repeatedly come back to that, and then I'm like overly sensitive. And, uh, okay, now, that level of intensity, I think, I believe, I hope, I hope so, I can attribute to the fact that I have a message that is worth being intense about. And so we should be speaking the gospel message with boldness, and that's what Paul teaches us here in chapter 15, verse 15, in verse 16 it says, That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. So what he speaks, he doesn't get to speak just anything. He doesn't get to speak his own personal opinion. All right, what Paul has to speak, what he's constrained to speak, is the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. You know, a lot of us are intense and bold about a lot of different things. You know, Charles and I have been bantering all week about uh, LeBron. James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and whether or not LeBron 
LeBron James is, you know, the GOAT. And of course he's not. We all understand that. <laughs> Those of us who are saved know. I mean, sorry, no, no, no. But see what I mean? Like, you can get caught up uh, in, in, you know, the vagaries of life, the opinions about these silly things, and, and none of those things are really important. You know, none of those things really mean a whole lot. We get caught up and passionate about lots of things, and the thing that we should be the most passionate about, and nothing should get in the way of this, is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that we should be living and dying for. All right? So that's the content of our words. That's what we speak. And the, the third point is that we should be uh, speaking for God's glory. That's what we should be speaking for. I have, therefore, whereof I make glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. In other words, the glory that I find is the glory that God finds. And the glory that I relate to and the residual glory that I receive is only because of the glory that God receives in me preaching this gospel message. And so any benefit, any joy that I have is knowing that God is working in this world and that he deserves and, and that he's gaining our worship. You understand? And that has to be the reason that we're speaking the gospel message, is to point the way and to point to the glory of God, who he is, what he's done, and his heart towards us. You understand? That's why we speak. Okay? And then, by whose authority do we speak? Verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, for those of you know that I struggled with that word last week, um, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. It's by the might and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we have the ability to go and to speak to all kinds of peoples at any given moment. Let me tell you real quick, yesterday, uh, you know, my grandmother is 90 years old. Okay, maybe 91. She's old, I know that. Gigi is what my kids call her. And uh, she came over yesterday. It was Eloise's one-year birthday. And I'll, I can say this. Um, I know that the, the gospel has been preached to her in times past, but I have been very heavy recently with the fact and the idea that she might not be saved. She might not know Christ. I believe that my grandfather was saved. He died a few years ago, but I, I just haven't been sure. And, I, and you know, I, there's all kinds of, my, my grandmother is very emotional, and uh, she's sometimes very difficult to talk to because she's very vague in her speech, and, and she she likes to avoid controversy. Does anybody have both grandparents that are like this? They want everything to be wonderful and sweet all the time. Um, and so it's very difficult for me to address the gospel with her. And yesterday, uh, as I was sitting with her, I felt an overwhelming obligation to speak. And I can say that yesterday, because of the Holy Spirit's provocation, there's no way, there's... There, my flesh was like, this is uncomfortable, there are people around, and you're going to get distracted, she's going to get emotional, she might get defensive. These are all the things that my logic was telling me. And I can tell you that the Holy Spirit demanded that I speak, and I did, and she received it. Now, with her words, she said that she believed and that she is saved, but I'm still not sure. But she agreed to, to, uh, to take a Bible, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her a Bible, and I'm going to ask for her to read gospel of John because I want to be very sure and I'm going to follow up with her but 
It was only by the authority of the Holy Spirit that I even came to a place where I could speak. And so I thank God for that. I thank God for that. Because in my flesh, I didn't want to. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It demands of us higher living. It demands of us higher character. It demands of us a more serious and bold word. And I thank God for the Holy Spirit. So here's our first key point, And it is by way of review. But I want you to write it down nonetheless. I hope that you're prepared to do that. Okay, so... Let's look at it. Here's our key point. Key point number one, and it's a long one, so if you need to photograph it, you can. Our message must reflect a boldness to share the gospel of Christ, to share the message of the person of Jesus Christ, with the desire to glorify God the Father and a reliance on His Holy Spirit for the power to do the work. And so, in this little bit that Paul's given us here in Romans chapter 15, we see Jesus, we see God the Father, and we see His Holy Spirit at work in His life, in the ministry and in the message of Paul. Does this make sense? We see the Trinity at work. And, and in our lives, we need the Trinity to do the work of ministering the message of Jesus Christ. We need the gospel message, we need to glorify the Father. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it because in our flesh is no good thing. Our message must reflect a boldness to share the gospel of Christ. Desire to glorify God the Father and a reliance on his Holy Spirit for power to do the work. And so leave that slide up for just a moment. We're going to go ahead and address what we're going to talk about today, though. Today, we're going to address uh, the methodology of ministry. And Paul gives us here in this next portion, in verses 20 and 21, he gives us a clear methodology on how it is that we're supposed to minister the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, so now that we've looked at the nature of Paul's message, we're going to look specifically at how we determine, uh, determine in our lives where and to whom we should be taking this message. I think that's an important question to ask. As ambassadors, it is of the utmost importance that we always ask, where do we go and to whom shall we preach? Where do we go and to whom shall we preach? That's what the minister of, of the message should be asking themselves. And after all, the mission of the disciple is to go somewhere and to preach to someone. You understand? I mean, if it's going to be practical, it should be about somewhere and should be about someone. Alright, so Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is a famous passage for all Bible-believing Christians. And I don't know if I talk about it enough. I don't go to this passage. I think a lot of times I assume that people understand that this is what the Christian should be living for. But I know, I know, I actually know in my heart and my mind that most Christians haven't grown up looking at this passage. And what's happening here is Jesus has died and risen again. And he's sitting with his disciples, and he's explaining to his disciples, the people that follow Jesus, what it is that they should be giving their lives to now that he's going to say goodbye. And he expresses very explicit, uh, explicitly here what it is that they should do. And he says to them, in verse 19 of chapter 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So here we see 
that the somewhere is all nations, right? Okay, and we see that the someone is them in those places that the disciples are supposed to go. But you know, uh, as directive as that is, it's not very practical, right? So you're like, all nations, okay, all nations, and uh, to them that live in those all nations. Now, we ask ourselves, I can't personally go to all nations. We look at our own life and I say, well, I'm limited, right? I'm 35, I'm married, I have kids, I can't go to all nations. You know what, the church can. The disciples collectively can go to all the places in all the world, and in fact, during this time period, they did. The disciples reached every corner of the earth with the gospel. They went everywhere, right? Um, but, but it still leaves us personally with the question. If I can't go to everyone, and I can't preach to every person, then God, where would you have me to go, and whom would you have me speak? Right? Very practical question. When it comes to our personal lives and our ministry, the details of where and who can get confusing sometimes. And we can even trust the wrong devices to determine where and who. We can trust in the wrong devices. We can lean to our, into our own understanding. And we can choose a direction and a path and a place and a people that God would not have us to go to. Um, now, when you're going with the gospel message, it's never wrong. God would use you. But we want to sit solely within and squarely within his will, don't we? That's what we want. Now, Paul is going to give us some clear guidelines to help us to know who we are supposed to be ministering to. But let's, let, let's first look at some common methods that people use to determine where and who they're going to minister to. All right? There are lots of different approaches that Christians use today to determine where they should minister. And there are lots of effective approaches that, that have merit. Okay? And they, they, they help us to answer the question of where and, and who. But I want, to, I want to warn you in advance that, that a lot of times we focus on the wrong thing. And so even though I'm going to present to you these valid methods and approaches, I'm going to show you a more uh, gospel principle approach. All right? Are you guys with me? This is like abstract right now. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. It's a little bit abstract. But I'm, I want to get to a place of practicality. So you've got to bear with me in the abstraction. All right? So let's look at some common methods. Say you're a Christian minister. Okay? You, you, you love Jesus Christ, and you've got a message. And you say, God, anywhere, anywhere you would take me, to any people, I'll go. Okay? Now, the very first one I'm going to look at is that sometimes people follow the fruit. People who are missionaries, people who are church planners, they decide where they're going to go and to whom they're going to go to based on fruitfulness. So they look at the world and they say, God, where are you at work? That's where I want to go to. Okay, they, they ask themselves, like, where is God moving in this world? I want to be a part of that work. And that's very valid. Many ministers do that and think that way. And many times God is calling people to new works and new movements. 
Um, and a good example of this is actually our own missionaries, Doug and Bethany Pearson. Doug determined a long time ago that he was going to go to India because the gospel was very fruitful. And he saw that there was tons of opportunity there. And so uh, Doug actually spent, and Bethany, um, spent a decade in India, ministering in India, and, and it was a fruitful time. And in fact, uh, he was called specifically to train two men, uh, one of which will be coming and visiting here in July, and you'll have an opportunity to meet Ganesh. He's a pastor in Mumbai. And um, the Lord has used Ganesh alone, this man, uh, to plant, I believe, 40-some-odd churches in Mumbai. And his responsibility is to go and visit these churches on a weekly and daily basis, and that's what he does, and he's training his own pastors to do that work. And, Paul, and, and God used Doug and Bethany to see that happen. And so God used Doug. It was a very fruitful place, and one of the reasons he decided he wanted to go to India is because there was an effectual open door. That's why he went. He saw that the, so the soil was good for planting. And, uh, and, and this is, a matter of fact, that's how he ended up in Cambodia. And he went to Cambodia, uh, him and, and, and Bethany, about six months ago. And you know what? They were there for only about six months. Because they realized something. They realized that the soil there wasn't as soft and as fruitful as what they saw in Vietnam. And they've just recently decided that they're not going to minister in Cambodia. They're going to go and pursue a work. They're following the fruit because they see fruitfulness as possible in Vietnam, and so they're going to go there, and they're going to minister there. In fact, we've got a team going to be with them. Now, what I want to say to you is that this approach is completely acceptable. I'm not saying anything about that approach. All right? As long as it's God's will, and if there's a clear need in that place, then people are going to be called to places where there's guaranteed fruit. Guaranteed. So, you know, do you guys remember in, uh, when you were kids and you played kids? Now, remember that kid that always sent every pitch back? Too bouncy. Too bouncy. You know the choosy kid in kickball? And it would come across the plate, and everybody that's waiting in line was like, that was a perfect pitch. What are you talking about? Just kick the ball. Right? But there's that, there's that one kid who's like, no, nah, I want to do just like this. Like, it's like, like they get to dictate to the pitcher how they want the kickball. But they did it. Right? It's usually the kid that's a little bit more like a bully. But they would send it back until they got the right pitch because they wanted to kick that sucker so far. Right? And that's this approach. Like, I'm going to go where the Lord's moving, and I want to know that I'm going to have fruit to my account. Now, here's the danger in this way of thinking, if it's not God's will. For a minister who chases fruitfulness, there might be incidental dangers in this approach because you could put cost-benefit over need. Does that make sense? You could put cost-benefit for those of you who have taken a basic economics class, personal finance class in your high school, right? Um, you could put cost-benefit over the actual need and the calling of God. You know, if every missionary worked this way, there would be no missionaries going to places like Pakistan or Egypt. Because the ground is too hard. The soil is too hard. <laughs> <laughs> you got cat like reflexes. I'm going to push that one. Um, 
and say to the poor, Stand out there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Okay, so there's nothing wrong with reaching influential people, but if it was just about reaching influential people, I'll tell you right now, Ganesh wouldn't have a ministry. Because he's reaching the people of the lowest caste in Mumbai. People that no one wants to go to. That's who he's going to. Are you guys with me? Does it make sense so far? We're speaking about methodology here. And the way people decide where and to whom they're going to preach the gospel to. And we have to ask hard questions about this stuff. If we're going to minister the gospel. Another approach is follow your heart. Another approach is follow your heart. Now, all of us right away are like, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, listen to me. Listen. No, there's validity. There's validity in following your heart to a degree. It can't rule over you. It can't rule over you because we know that the heart can be deceitful. It can be deceitfully wicked. But for all the passages that we can find about our heart being deceitfully wicked, we can also find in many numbers of passages that says that when you're following God, your heart can be right. So don't condemn your heart so quickly. If you're following Christ, you can have a right heart. Many people in ministry and missions make decisions about a, a place and a people based on their feelings. The logic is that if God wants me to do it, then I should feel it aching deep down in my soul. Right? This is most common among young people who want to genuinely follow God but are looking for confirmation of God's personal vision for them in their feelings rather in his, than in his word and his unfolding will. You know, feelings have validity. People's convictions should naturally produce feelings of burden and desire. They should. But having feelings is not the prerequisite for obeying God. Your feelings and feeling the right way and feeling in tune with God is not a prerequisite about whether or not you're going to follow him anywhere and to any person. We can't just trust our feelings and hope that our feelings are going to lead us down the right path. You know, Jonah didn't feel like ministering to the Ninevites. And if I remember correctly, his feelings were wrong. In fact, God spends the whole book first, first, by correcting his disobedience. That's the first thing that God addresses. You will obey me, and let me show you how you're going to do that. <laughs> he pushes Jonah over his knees and gives him a swat. I mean, for those of you who are familiar with the story, Jonah gets swallowed by a whale. Right? And he's like, let me correct your disobedience for a moment. You know what? The second thing that he addresses, because it is, does have validity, it's just not the first thing, is he does spend the last chapter of the book addressing Jonah's feelings. The whole last part, the second thing that God addresses in Jonah's life is correcting and fixing Jonah's bad emotional state. And it ends on that question, that, that, that crazy question, is, are your, is your heart going to be right concerning this people that I called you to? There's so much power in that story. Uh, you know, if I hadn't already preached Jonah just a few years ago, I would preach it again. Just right before we get into Acts, do a short sermon series on Jonah. But uh, do you see what I mean? You can't trust your heart because your heart is sometimes deceitful. You have to put God's will first 
And so while all these methods and these ideas have validity as it concerns the gospel, we need to look at a more sure way. A more sure way. All right? And that's Paul's method that he gives us here. Now, before we begin reading this passage, let's con- collectively acknowledge something, can we? That Paul was pretty effective at ministry. Can we acknowledge that? You know, he wasn't a perfect man. And he confesses that. But God used him to impact the Gentile nations with the gospel. And he had all the right components. He had the right faith. He had the right message. And he had the right methodology. Each of these things have everything to do with the fact that the gospel spread to the entire known world. The fact that you're here this morning and you're worshiping, you've got your Bible open, has everything to do with Paul's faith, his message, and his method as a concern spreading Jesus Christ. And we need to acknowledge it. He was, he was good at what he did, and God used him. Now, while there may be other principles to consider, God gives us incredible insight into the way in which the most effective minister ever in the history of mankind did things. So let's take note. Chapter 15, verse 20 says, Yea, so have I, have I strived to preach the gospel, not not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have, uh, that have not heard shall understand. See, much of what Paul says here in this passage is where MBT gets its missions philosophy. What this passage deals with is how Paul personally determines where and to who he's going to be ministering. Yeah? So let's break it down real quick before we go. Can we do that? Verse 20, the where. The where, verse 20, the where. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Not where. Okay? It's more about where you're not going to go than it is about where you're going to go, which leaves the field pretty wide open. Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Paul strives to invest the gospel of Jesus where Christ has not been named. In other words, Paul is determining where he invests based on a void in gospel ministry. I see a void in that place. I see that the message is not being preached there. So I will go there. So here's our key point. We should set our eyes on the uncharted territories. Christians, listen to me. Do you have a message to preach? Are are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you've got a message to preach, then you need to be asking, where are the uncharted territories that I can take the gospel? He says he doesn't want to build on another man's foundation. In other words, he is looking to go fishing in ponds where no one else seems to be fishing. Last year, I spent some time meeting with Bible studies. You guys remember that? I invited a lot of, a lot of people weren't a part of that. So I want to say this. In the fall, I'm going to reinstitute that. I'm going to invite all the Bible studies into my home to hang out and eat brownies and talk about effective evangelical ministry. We're going to do that in the fall. So you're going to be invited over to my house. And we're going to hang out and we're going to talk about things how your Bible study can be most effective. It'll be fun. It'll be a good time. You guys don't look real excited about that. I said, I said there'd be brownies. 
right? Like if you can't amen hanging out with me, you can amen the brownie. Right? So we're going to hang out. We're going to talk about But last year we had this conversation. We were talking about evangelism. We were talking about investing the message of God's word. And something that kept coming up from the group was that many people felt like they'd exhausted the fishing hole that they'd been investing in, in their workplace. They'd already ministered and, and, and shared the gospel with lots of people. And they felt like, man, I just don't know. I just don't know if there's anyone else, you know, where I work at or wherever it is, whatever the circumstance was, that I can actually share the gospel with that I haven't, that I haven't already done. And what we talked about was the most biblical conclusion was 2 Timothy 4.5. that says that we should do the work of an evangelist. In other words, it's our responsibility to be proactive about where we, we go fishing. We've got to be thinking about where it is that we're going to fish. Our mission is to go places where the gospel is lacking. And if you, if I, I don't fish a whole lot. I mean, I know I look like an outdoorsman. Right? It's probably the pants. The pants are deceit, deceitfully outdoorsman life, aren't they? Um, but, but you know what? Uh, I do know enough about fishing to know that you don't want to go fish on a pond where there's like 4,000 people fishing. Right? That's a bad... Like, you want to go where it's quiet and still and no one is there. Right? Because you want to catch all fish. You want to. And there's fish to be caught, folks. The fields are white. And it's less about where you're going and more about where you're not going to go. I'm not going to go where everybody's already at work. Okay, I'm going to go where there seems to be a lack. So here's the key question for us. Where are the places without preachers? Where are the places in the world, in our community, even in your classroom, even in your workplace, where are the places without people preaching the gospel? We are, we are looking to fields where no one is having an impact. You know, for, for me, that's Lisa at West High School. Because there's not very many teachers preaching the gospel at Lisa at West High School. Is there, Charles? <laughs> there's not very many teachers there that are willing in the middle of class to just share the gospel with me. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Some of you, those of you who are involved with FOI, you're going to UMKC or Penn Valley. That's where you're going because you see there's, there's a need in those places. Some of you are choosing jobs and directions for your life based on need, where there's lack. There's a, there's a, there's a need for Bible studies in every corner of our city. We sit... Alex and Amanda down in Grandview to start a Bible study, and now that Bible study has grown, and we need another Bible study. You know why? Because Grandview is full of lack. It's a place of need. There's not enough gospel ministers there. And this city is full of corners, nooks, and crannies where people aren't preaching. So where are you going to go? And to whom? You know, like the question where, the question of whom is significant to Paul too. While there's a direct relationship, a correlation between environment and people, we want to make sure that we are seriously considering who the specific people God is calling you to invest in are. Paul says to the Romans here, verse 21, don't quit on me, I got, I got, two, I got two minutes. Don't quit. Are you with me? Yes. Yes. That yes. as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of. 
He doesn't just address the where, he's addressing the who. To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. Now Paul affirms this principle of whom by paraphrasing Isaiah here. He's quoting Isaiah. Now before I read those verses, I want to say to you this. Paul quotes in Romans alone 104 different Old Testament passages. In these 16 chapters, he quotes the Old Testament in different verses, he synthesizes verses, different things, 104 different Old Testament references. Now, the reason I want to point that out is because there is an uh, influential teacher, preacher, of a megachurch that recently said that if Christians are going to be effective, they need to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. Okay? And I want to point out the fact that that's blasphemous and heretical in nature. That all scripture is given to us, right, by inspiration of God, for doctrine. It's intended to be applied to our life, and Paul knew that, so he took it to help cultivate doctrines based on Old Testament principles. Okay, so we want to be real careful about unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament. Paul didn't do that, so I'm not even... Isaiah 52, 15, speaking about the Gentiles, is a prophetic word. It says, So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall uh, shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. The people who didn't know, the people who hadn't heard, the people who had no idea about who God was, and who Jesus Christ was. Those are the people that we go to. Isaiah 65, 1. I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me. Behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. This is our responsibility too. Key point number three. We should speak in the ears we should speak into the ears of souls that have not heard. When prayerfully considering who you should be ministering to, you need to con consider consider this idea that there are people guys, okay, let me explain. This is moving away. Uh, there was a student, there is a student that I have who came and visited She's a, she's a 16. She never set foot in the church ever in her whole life. She had never heard the gospel before, ever, ever, ever in her whole life. And this is a suburban American white girl who's like just plain Jane, who you think, oh, well, certainly she's encountered the gospel. No, we live in a world where our next door neighbors don't know who Jesus is. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to go to people who have not heard the gospel? That's our key question. Where are the people who have not heard the gospel? We've got to find them. Find them out. It's not a, you know, for Paul, he can say, oh, there's a Gentile nation. No one there knows about Jesus. I'm going there. For us, we have to say to ourselves, look, the people who haven't heard the message, 
They're sitting camouflaged in our classrooms. They're, they're sitting in our, in our workplaces, in the cubicle, right down, right down the hallway. And we've got, we've got to go probing to find them. We've got to go fly fishing. We've got to go test the waters. We've got to be willing to move, to bob, and to weave, and to find. We've got to hunt them down. We've got to find them. The people who have not heard the message, those are the ears that we speak the gospel message into. But many of us Christians today are complacent. We're very happy with building churches in places and establishing work by stealing from other churches, by robbing one church to feed another church, to go find Christians and convince them that they need to come over here or there. Ugh. And I'll say this. We don't, we don't have a problem if someone wants to come to our church, a Christian, who needs to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We'll never refuse that. We love those people. We want to invest in them. But the question is, who we are? Who are we going to minister to? Who are we going after? And I'm telling you this: the most biblical thing we can do is to go to people who haven't heard, who have no idea. And many of us are afraid to do that kind of work. Let's close with this: Kaya's ministry method. In Kaya, our strategy is to live Paul's example by answering the question of where and whom, and then we're going to send people there to minister. That's what we're going to do. By God's leading, that's what we're going to do. We're training up people to go and to start Bible studies in every nook and cranny and every place in the city. For Kaya, the primary answer to the question where is, and it will always be, to schools and workplaces. For our ministry, that's what we're doing. We're sending young adults to schools and to workplaces that's just that's, that's how it's always going to be in a ministry called College and Young Adults. <laughs> so hopefully you're okay with it. And young adults means all different types of things. Maybe it's a young married couple, or maybe it's a, you know, for your eye and hollow, a young married couple with a baby. Or maybe you're single, maybe you're 18, maybe you're 25, maybe you're 30. I mean, I'm here, and I'm old as dirt. <laughs> I'm getting there today. My knees hurt. Right? But listen, as long as we're college and young adults, if you're coming and you're a part of this and you're about something, you're about ministering on school campuses and in your workplaces to other young adults. That's what we're going to be about. So that's that's the answer to where for us. For Kaya, the primary answer to the question, who is It'll be friends, it'll be family, it'll be acquaintances, and it'll be strangers. Anybody who doesn't know the gospel and is hungry for the word, we're going to go to them. That's who we're going to go to. We should be inviting people. In terms of our methodology and our approach and our strategy as a ministry, we should be inviting the people who've not heard to come and see that God is good. And the goal is to get as many young people Young adults opening the Bible with either people one-on-one or inviting them into our small groups. That's, that's our primary strategy. It's going to be to say, hey, come and see, come check this out. I know we've been talking about Jesus for a while now. Let's sit down and open the Bible. Can we do that? Would you just be willing to consider the word you and me at lunch break? Hey, after class, let's, let's go and let's look. I'll just show you what, what God's word says. And some will receive and some won't. We'll just keep looking. 
those hearts and those minds that are open and ready to receive. That's what we've got to be about. We've got to be stealthy. We've got to be ready. We've got to be wise. Because we don't want to waste God's time. We've got something to steward. You know, one method that I didn't mention at the beginning of my message, it's a very important one, it's the one that most Christians use to determine where and determine who. And it's called following complacency. Most Christians, their methodology for following Christ is to, is to follow complacency. It's to say, where is the most comfortable place that I can minister? Where is it that I can kind of hide? Where is it that I can worship Jesus but on my terms? And I just want to tell you right now, um, that's not who we're going to be. As a ministry, we're not going to be that. And the challenge for every Christian that's sitting in this room, for those that are in the new members class, those that are on the mission field today, for Kaya, we're going to be uncomfortable. <coughs> and I ask that you would come and join us in the fellowship of his sufferings, knowing that the when and the who will sometimes be hard, and it'll be difficult. But I'm, I'm going to be about glorifying God the Father. So, in conclusion, in our invitation today, can we together ask where and who we're supposed to be delivering the message to? Where we're supposed to go and who we're supposed to be taking it to? Can we ask that question? For some of us, that'll look like, you know, quite simply, your family, your friends, your workplace, your school. Some of us need to ask the hard question, where long-term, God, where is it that you would ask me to go? Are you supposed to go to the mission field? Are you supposed to leave, go to a foreign land? Are you supposed to be a part of a church plan? Who knows? But our hearts have to be open. We have to be prepared to go anywhere and to any person. Go worship team, come up. Heavenly Father, Lord, in this time right now, reflection, would you work in our hearts? Would you provoke us to, to follow you more deeply? to seek you more intently, to ask of you hard questions concerning where we personally are supposed to go. We know the message. We know the objective. But Lord, where we get hung up a lot of times is, is where and who, and we need your help. You've made us unique. And you do have something for us. 